0: Today on The Reclaim Leader, we are talking with Rev. Dr. Jim Mead about leading change, why suffering may be the key to transformation.
1: Welcome to The Reclaimed Leader, a podcast by two pastors trying to lead their churches through revitalization and change. Their mission, to share their journey with you so it might help you in yours. And now, here, please welcome our hosts, Jason Tucker and Jesse Skiffington.
0: Welcome to Episode 2 of the Reclaim Leader Podcast, helping you lead change without losing your roots. I am Jason Tucker, and this, as always with me, is Jesse Skiffington. How are you doing, Jesse?
2: Doing well, Jason. Glad to be with you today, and look forward to our conversation.
0: Yeah, and this is a really good one. This, uh, And hey, Episode 2, and we're already just getting into such great stuff. It's been Awesome. Yeah, you know, we we're just talking before we hit record we we're just talking about how awesome it's been so far just for us to keep the conversation going and then hopefully bring that bring you uh, into the conversation with us and if you're wondering uh, how you do that you can get in touch with us and you can join the conversation uh, we do have a website for the podcast called reclaimedleader.com reclaimedleader.com. So check that out, and it's got a little bit more about us and the churches that we serve, and there's a way that you can get hold of us too, but... Wait, episode two. We've already changed the tagline of the, pod, the yeah, podcast. Yeah, I
2: put that on you, Jason. That, I was, you know, I was ready to cement around that and stick with it for the rest of our lives and say we've always used it and never That's change right. it. That's right. Uh, you're keeping us. Uh, we're living out what we claim to be about, which is change. So
0: you already uh, had the tattoo, and yeah, I, I, I did. Go.
2: Now it's you know and I'm going to have to cross it out. So I
0: already forgot the original one. It was something about leading change in a changing world, which is really cool. But what we landed on was, and by we, I thought of something and then you said, yeah, whatever, man. Just just finish it. <laughs> no, I like and it. It's good stuff. <laughs> helping you lead change without losing your roots. And why we like that so much is it's really because it captures the idea of the reclaimed leader. As we said last week, that it's, it's like an antique table. Uh, not, not an antique that kind of sits in a corner and gathers dust or an antique that you polish up and never use, but rather a reclaimed piece of antique furniture that's made new and beautiful for a new purpose. And, and that that's what our churches are like. And so how do you navigate change without losing who you are? And that's right. Because I, yeah. I think that's the, real, that's the real fear, right? That's the fear that a lot of pastors and leaders and definitely elders and people in the pews think is like, well, if we change, are we going to not be who we've always been?
2: That's right, yeah. I, I was sharing a uh, quote from, uh, and now don't judge me on this too much, from a movie called Sweet Home Alabama. My too wife's late. from the South, so it's, too late. You know, I'm it's, judging. It's, it's It's what it is. But <laughs> one of the lines in there is, this, you can have roots and wings. And, uh, you know, I think that's what we're about. Painting vision, uh, moving a church forward, uh, working for revitalization, those kinds of things without losing who we are, with you know, maintaining those roots and, and moving forward. So I think it's just right, Jason. Thanks for coming up with something really great. And then, uh, you know, telling me about it later that's fantastic so
0: <laughs> you got it and by the way isn't there like a connection there isn't Reese Witherspoon in that movie isn't she a descendant of John Witherspoon
2: well I I can get on board with that I don't know for sure but I that think that's true so, I think that's yeah. true maybe sounds like you know, know a little bit more about that movie than I do so uh, <laughs> who's judging who now
0: I may have watched it a couple of hundred times okay but, good. with my wife yeah nice All right, so well as we get into this episode, I thought we had such an awesome conversation that we recorded um, yesterday, and it was all about talking about where it is that you get stuck, or or where do leaders get stuck when it comes to leading change in our churches. And one of the topics that comes up, um, and we're just going to kind of tease the topic a little bit before is so many pastors, and I certainly myself included. Go to great lengths to avoid suffering. And I think the root of that for me is it's really like I just, I want to be liked. I, I can't get away from it. I know in my head that if I'm going to be effective, then I need to not worry about that. But I just can't help it. It The sleepless nights are all about somebody's angry with me over something, some decision I made. Or, and this is the worst they perceive I did something that I didn't do and they're mad at me for it. Because then there's like, there's no way to to reel that back in, it seems like. It's just, you're just helpless to people being angry. Or Um, taking
2: another step for me, Jason, along the same lines. Sometimes my own perceptions or expectations of how someone is feeling about me because of a decision, that may or may not be true. So I have anxiety about a decision I make that I, and I'm anticipating how somebody's going to respond before I even give him the chance to, to uh, be resilient and move forward. So sometimes it's real. Sometimes it's imagined too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's tough because I, I guess, I guess when it comes to ministry, you know, I, there's a part of me that always knows and always thinks about and doesn't take you by surprise. Like, yeah, of course we're going to suffer. You hear about suffering for Jesus and all this stuff. And and yet, when the suffering happens, it's almost like, okay, is this, is the suffering I'm going through some kind of indictment on my leadership? Or is it what's supposed to happen? Or is it like a little bit of both? Yeah. I, I don't know. Do, do you feel that way when you're, when you're kind of under it, when you're kind of in the, you're taking on some suffering? Do you start to question your leadership?
2: Uh, for sure. And I think what we're going to hear today is Jim shares uh, with us, and I'll we'll introduce Jim in just a minute, but I think what we're going to hear is that effective leaders should expect suffering. In fact, some degree of suffering is probably a sign that you're on the right track. Yeah, And uh, that's kind of hard reality to, to come to terms with because that's not why we got into ministry, right? To, to suffer. But maybe it is. Maybe we should have known all along that that's what was coming. And so We're going to hear more about that. Our our guest today is the Reverend Dr. Jim Mead. He is a good friend of mine. Uh, I had the the privilege of working alongside Jim uh, during a couple of years, right when I had taken over for a retiring senior pastor of 24 years, stepping in to lead for the first time uh, as a senior pastor. And Jim very graciously came in as my uh, associate pastor, and he has years of experience beyond me. uh, has served as a Presbyterian exec uh, in in the denomination that that Jason is a part of uh, for a number of years, and uh, it's kind of leading at a senior level. of 157 churches were under his uh, his sort of jurisdiction and leadership. Uh, and then was pastor of a large congregation here in the area that, that I'm in here in the Tacoma, uh, Tacoma Washington area. And so uh, Jim just brings a lot of wisdom and experience and has worked as a consultant with a number of churches that, as they navigate change, and especially with pastors as they figure out how to be healthy themselves and to figure out what they're experiencing as they lead change so i really look forward to uh sharing jim with you and uh, we have a lot of fun with jim but he's got some great insights. so listen close for those nuggets that that are in there and uh look forward to to having hearing your thoughts as as jim shares afterwards you know what do you think about what jim has been saying and um, does it resonate with you because we think it will resonated with us uh, talk about some of the challenges of leading change, of uh, leading change in the context of established, largely denominational churches. Are the pastors we're talking to in this, mm-hmm. uh, and you know some of those challenges. And so, um, just wanted to kind of throw it out there. Why? Why is leadership in the existing established church? Why is it so hard? Why? Do, why do we struggle? Yeah. Well, there are a lot of
1: there are a lot of reasons. You know, one of them
2: is that. Uh, for
1: almost all of us as pastors, one of the character traits that we have is that we're we're nice guys, and and it's it's part of uh, our story about ourselves. You know who who I'm a nice guy, and uh, I I help people, I love people, I care for people, and we know that if we lead change, we're going to make some people miserable, and some people are going to be unhappy, and some people are going to be really mad. And and I hate it when people are mad at me. It causes me anxiety. And so, so part of it is, is that temperamentally, uh, we, not very many of us felt the call into ministry, um, kind of like John the Baptist, you right. know, uh, uh, with, you know, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you know, I don't think it bothered John much, no. but it bothered me a lot. And, um, And I think another uh, reason, and and after this I'll talk about what I think is the toughest, but another reason is that um, the changes that matter... That, that, we, that we know will matter for Christ. And, and the things that are in the way of a church actually bearing fruit for Christ are never the trivial things. You know, we need two more ushers at the nine o'clock service. <laughs> that's never the, the, the change that's miserable. You know, that's, they, some of the writers used to call that technical change. The tough tra- change is adaptive or transformational change. Mm-hmm. And um, we all know that that's going to be expensive. Because we know that somebody's ox is going to get gored and somebody's feeling is going to be hurt. But 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 in addition to that, the problem with adaptive or transformational changes, is, uh, if we're really skillful, you can identify the problem. But some of the problems, we don't really know the answer to. Mm-hmm. And the only way to find the answer is start experimenting with stuff, which actually gives you uh, you know, you irritate people, you upset people, you scare people. And then it turns out that that experiment didn't work. That's right. So then you get to tell them, well, we're not going to do that anymore. Instead, we're going to do something else that you find upsetting and scary and, um, and makes you question whether or not your pastor is a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, but, and, it's one thing to ask other people to, to do things that are difficult for them when we know that, we're, that what we're about to ask them to be part of is right. But it's harder uh, uh, when we don't know what's right. The other part of it is this, and Jesse knows that I've said this to him, and who knows, he's probably said it to you too, Jesse. But, but um, it, my observation is that a lot of churches don't matter for Christ and don't move forward in in ministry, and don't address the things that are in their way, because the pastor is not willing to suffer enough. Wow. Um, yeah. You know, you, you know that if you lead into that change,
2: um,
1: some people are going to be mad at you. Some, some people are going to be mad at you who love you, and they're going to be uh, sort of, uh, mad because they're they're hurt and confused. Some people are going to be mad at you because you know they kind of wondered when you were called anyway, and and now there you go. Now you're confirming <laughs> uh, what a, a a jerk and a lightweight and a, a miscellaneous a change imposer you are. Uh, so they're going to be mad, and that causes suffering. And you know, when I went to Princeton, or I mean to Pittsburgh. Um, God uh, insisted and helped me know through the Holy Spirit that I had to go back there and lead change quickly because for three years, a group of pastors and elders had worked to bring change in that presbytery and a window of opportunity was open that would slam shut if I didn't lead fast. Well, my style was to lead as a nice guy. I would build trust and relationships. Then on the basis of relationship and trust and affection, then I would lead change and put up with the trouble that came with it But when I went to Pittsburgh, if I had led that way, the window would have gone closed. So I was nearly nine years in Pittsburgh. The whole time I was there, I worked against my type. Mm -hmm. And and I I led change, a lot of it from the top down, which sort of suited Pittsburgh's culture. They they were kind of a top-down culture place. They hated everybody for it, but they they were used to it. Mm -hmm. And so we demolished a, a bunch of things very quickly. Well, when I got there, I'm not kidding you, I, I could not take a deep breath. You know how you breathe, belly breathing, you know, like when you're doing your sort of yoga kind of stuff, you know, <sighs> nice, slow in and <sighs> breathe out, or breathe in the presence of Christ, breathe out the, you know, I couldn't take a deep breath for two years. Wow. I was so stressed out. And um, and there were people who literally were at work on and off again uh, to fire me. So. One of the reasons churches don't change is uh, for for Christ. Is pastors are not willing to impose enough suffering on themselves. Um, Paul said to the Colossian bunch, um, I think one eighteen. I don't want you to worry about what I have suffered for you, um, because in my suffering for you, I have fulfilled what is lacking in the suffering of Christ. Well, when I first heard that, I thought, geez, Paul, that's a little risky there. Something was lacking in Jesus' suffering. But but Paul, the Colossian church was mostly Gentile. And it was mostly Gentile because Paul had paid the price in place after place, getting beat up, stoned, uh, 39 lashes, and thrown out of town and left for dead, to bring the Gentiles in, at exactly as the Lord Jesus wanted. But the Lord Jesus had done some of the suffering for that, but Paul was completing the suffering of the Lord Jesus for the Colossians. And, uh, and nobody said to us, nobody when I was at Princeton, nobody when I was at the American Baptist Seminary of the West, nobody said to me, uh, so listen, you all, are, are you ready to, to engage in the suffering of Jesus for the church and for a lost world? Nobody ever said that. And, um, and I'll bet nobody said that to anybody who is listening on this. The other thing that's, that's hard, again, partly because we're nice folk, is uh, churches won't grow, won't get past the roadblocks to mattering for Jesus and bringing new people to Christ which, by the way, every time, you know, you bring more people to Jesus, the church changes. yeah. And and every member knows in his or her heart that the church was the exact right size after they joined it, you know. And, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and after that, everyone else has joined just making the place to blame big. That's right. But we know that if if we reach people for Christ and the church starts to grow, we're going to have to be, um, we're going to have to lead the session differently we're going to, or the governing body. We're going to have to manage the staff differently, manage our time differently, assign new roles that used to be ours to some other people as we continue to grow, and, and, and leading change like that will impose suffering on nice people, not just the grumps and the cranks and, and the people who don't really get it about Jesus and, and the gospel, but nice people. And so, to sum it up some, Jesse you knows knows this phrase, you know, churches don't bear fruit for Jesus. They don't make the changes they've got to, partly because pastors won't suffer enough, and partly because pastors won't impose suffering on nice people. And, yeah. you know, when when I, you know, we, so uh, I'm 70, so I'm among the, the generation of pastors who who led the fight, the, the music war fights, to bring contemporary music into the church. And um, one of the people I love best was on my staff. He was our director of music, Bob Northrup. Just a dear, dear guy. And 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 he and his choir were the only show in worship, uh, along with the the marvelous organist on our fabulous tracker organ, you know. And... Um, when we brought in music all of a sudden people uh, contemporary music people started applauding and every music every member of the band had a microphone you know who are they to all have a microphone and you know <laughs> and one of the norms of the choir was you want to sing a solo fine you got to be in the choir if you're too good to be in the choir you won't be singing solos here well, all of a sudden, these people who weren't in the choir but were in the band were singing solos and getting applause, uh, and every week. So I, you know, I led I led all of that change, and I insisted that Bob bring that change. His wife hated contemporary music, and man, she was really cute. And I don't think he ever crossed her a single time in his life, except <laughs> about the band. And he did that because he finally got close enough to Jesus. He knew we wouldn't reach some people without a band, and. The choir was, was just mystified and, and brokenhearted, and I had to put limits on them. They, they were coming to the contemporary service for a while. They would come, do the anthem for about two years and all that. But some of them would sit up there during the contemporary stuff and not sing. So I told Bob, you've got to tell them, you either sing or you don't come. Uh, So, there he was hurting the feelings of people who lived on the same block with him. So, the reason I tell the story about contemporary Christian music and my good friend Bob and the choir, whom I loved, is I was wounding people who didn't get why a nice guy like me was, was causing so much turmoil. We not only have to be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ ourselves, and for the sake of people who need Jesus, and for the sake of the well-being of the church, because the church will get judged by Jesus too. And um, but but we have to be able to impose suffering on people we love, uh, not yeah. just the people that are, you know, a pain in the neck. So that's not easy. Yeah. So those are some of the big reasons.
0: Well, yeah, it's good stuff. Well, Jim, I, there's so much. There's so much there to what you said. That's I mean, really great. Great stuff, because I feel like every single thing you just said has completely applied to the two churches that I've served since yeah. since ordination. I mean, perfectly applied to them. And I think I'm hearing two things, and there's sort of two different ideas, but they're related that I, I kind of want to drill down a little more on. One is, you talked about about suffering, that pastors aren't willing to go through which I know is true because many times I don't want to go through it. And, and I consider myself a real change advocate. Uh, they don't want to sort of impose suffering on themselves or others, you know, because there's a part of me that thinks, is it fair to expect an 80 year old widow who's been coming to this church her whole life to have a paradigm shift on what church is? Right. And for like, is that even fair to do to her? And it, you know so there's that but then there's this other piece that you had touched upon and that is I wasn't trained to do any of this stuff and so right I feel like I imposed a lot of unnecessary suffering yeah. <laughs> because oh, man. because I have I was just not equipped tell me a little bit more about like just getting pastors equipped to do this I never had business classes in my life I never had any of that and I feel like man I wish I had an M- MBA under my belt Cause I feel like I need some of that stuff to, to go through this and push things forward.
1: Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, so I graduated from Princeton in 1973. So uh, if, if you guys didn't get it, you can imagine that I didn't get it too. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I started, um, I, I started reading and, and, you know, back in the eighties when I started leading change most energetically, uh, uh, in a church that was worshiping 400, and when I left there, they were worshiping 1,000. But, you know, I started leading change in a much more uh, disciplined manner there, and I started reading some books. And Lyle Schaller was one of the fine consultants in those days, and um, so I read uh, stuff by him, and I read stuff that came out of some other guys. It doesn't matter. They're so long ago now. Um, but but Schaller um, was a church consultant who was popular in those days, Uh uh, among smart people like me, anyway. And um, uh, and and Lyle, uh, was his first name, he held workshops. And one of them was um, uh, the senior pastor in the large church. And he didn't define how large you had to be, and so I considered <laughs> my church was large enough, and I was, by golly, like the senior pastor. And I went. And one of the things that was amazing to me was, when I got there, I was the pastor of the largest church at that conference. And I mm-hmm. thought... Where in the world are, are my friends who are pastoring big churches? I mean, maybe they're just all geniuses, and I'm the only bonehead that needs this kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> but, you know, so I would come home after being with Schaller, and, and, and I, would, I would change the way I moderated session. And, and uh, I would change some of the Sessions' jobs, and I would tell them what what Schaller had said and how come, and I would give them the book. And then, um, uh, you know, there was uh, Lauren Mead, uh, uh, who wrote some good stuff in those days. I mean, there really was not much out when I was young. You were just slugging it out as best you could, and you tried to find friends who who were working on it too. But then when I went to Pittsburgh, I went in, in 1998, <clears throat> and was there until 2007. Uh, I um, uh, I met uh, Alan Roxburgh uh, at a, a, a conference with Daryl Gooder. And um, um, Daryl was one of my mentors when I was a, a young man. And, and Daryl had, uh, somebody had said to Daryl, Daryl, you wrote a great book on the missional church. What would a missional presbytery or a conference be like? And uh, Daryl said, golly, I don't know. So he got a grant. And he called together um, in the Presbyterian Church USA. Uh, I think there were eight or ten presbyteries, so the exec and a couple of pastors, and I don't remember, maybe an elder, and Alan was there. And um, so we worked on that topic together uh, and so on, and I'm not sure that that work really paid off in the end, but I met Alan Roxburgh. And Alan... um, I think we were we were his first adjudicatory client. He never admitted that. Still hasn't admitted it to me. And um, but Alan is just a he's just a genius, and he's a guy who's done it. You know, he's turned two churches around at least, and so on, and made them matter for Jesus. So. Uh, uh, he would he just he would coach me, and then we involved a, a process where we started involving pastors and elders in our presbytery in the process of learning to lead transformational or adaptive change, and so on. And we brought in other consultants and all that. Alan introduced me to the works of um, of and and, um, uh, you know, uh, um, which I, I think a Leadership Without Easy Answers and then whatever is the one that follows that, Jesse knows the name, you do too probably, Jason. But what, those, those were two seminal books. You know, leadership, if I were to boil it down, leadership is um, the leader finding out what needs to be done, giving the work to the people to whom it belongs, and providing them with resources so they can be successful doing that work. You know, as opposed to going to the mountaintop and coming down with the Ten Commandments and then telling everybody what to do, and um, well, they uh, always
0: listen so well to that. They yeah, start yeah. making golden calves. And, you know, yeah, hey, yeah, <laughs> that's right. You're,
1: you're way too long, Aaron. Um, <laughs> you're the priest. What are you doing?
0: <laughs> so, a young pastor, you know, getting out into their first call, and they're in a position of of real leadership in a church that that perhaps is has been declining for a long time and they're trying to initiate change and they're they're doing everything they're, they're getting trained they're reading alan Roxborough books they're uh attending conferences they're willing to endure the suffering but the church just isn't going anywhere and and the the people don't seem to catch um catch the paradigm shift you know is it is it just, well, time to go and go to a new church? Or or what, what would you say to that young pastor? Because I'm sure there are pastors listening to this that are, they just feel stuck, and they're trying all these different things. They don't know what to do.
1: Well, first of all, um, make sure that you have a group of at least two other pastors who are, are, are working at it and who are, are really Christ-centered, uh, to whom you can tell the truth. You know, uh, man, I... I led this, I was sure I was right, and I was really wrong, and we lost two members who are really dear people over it for nothing because I, I, I lost it up. You know, I mean, somebody you can tell the truth to, somebody you can confess your sin to, who loves you enough to to remind you that you're forgiven and all that, and somebody else who is slugging it out. So having some support is crucial. Mm-hmm. And, and, and another thing is find a mentor in a larger church. You know, I used to go up and visit... Um, um, Larson, Bruce Larson, when he was pastor at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, well, we were worshiping about 800, and he was worshiping about 3,000, so it wasn't like I was going to emulate what Bruce was doing, but um, but Bruce, you know, to my amazement and uh, eternal gratitude, was willing to see me, this, you know, kind of kid, um, I was like 36, you know, from Podunk, Tacoma, and, you know, oh, he said, I always make room for other pastors, so how about Thursday? And then I also went to see the pastor at Bel Air, who's, uh, I can't remember his name, but a, just a champion guy. So I would go once in a while and talk with those guys, and um, and, and get some guidance and some comfort from them, and, uh, and just try to pick their brains about stuff. So, you know, a group... And some uh, some mentors, in addition to the books and the consultants. Uh, and by the way, do you know that P- that there is actual research? One of my friends, Stan Ott, did his PhD on this, that shows that people who go to conferences, five percent, actually apply anything they learned.
0: Wow. Five percent. One in twenty.
1: One in twenty. So. Wow. Uh, if you go to Bill Heibel's fabulous uh, big old honking workshop and, and hear good ideas, for crying out loud, go home and do something, you know, um, <laughs> or get ready to explain to Jesus how come you didn't when you die. So there you have that. Um, Ouch. <laughs> yeah.
0: Man, I felt that one.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and the other thing I would say, two other things, make sure Jesse's got a sign right there. The breadth of your ministry is directly related to the depth of your relationship with Jesus. So you you know make sure you're squared away with Christ, and that your small group of, of, of pastoral buds had had better be uh, uh, as concerned about your relationship with the Lord Jesus as they are about your marriage and your church, but they better be concerned about all three.
0: I'm testing a theory. Tell me if you think this is right. Uh, maybe you know Jesse and Jim. If you think this is right, I feel like. As a leader, if I could get the people to step out and try something new, it almost doesn't matter what it is, yeah, yes. because of the mo- the momentum that's built around doing the new thing, mm-hmm. right?
2: Yeah, there's this is not Jesus, so you know, take it for what it's worth. <laughs> but it's, Socrates Plato's writing and says this he says the secret of change is to focus all your energy on building the new not on fighting the old wow and so if you can paint a new vision even if it's just for the sake of having something new to move toward together to be in alignment and say how are we going to accomplish this learn teamwork learn trust learn accountability together I think it's going to take you a long way toward having a flourishing congregation even if it's just some random thing like being better at groups at your church or Mm -hmm. whatever uh it doesn't have to be anything you know huge paradigm shift kind of thing like uh, but those things will add up to when that that fresh vision is there you'll have learned to to change together and, uh, and yeah so i think you're right go for it
1: and i think that this issue is related to what used to be called creating a permission giving culture i don't know if that's in the parlance nowadays but it's a useful phrase um one of the things that you do when you introduce change, even if the change doesn't work, is you're just, you're saying, this is who we are. We try stuff around here, and we're not too worried That's about right. it if it doesn't That's entirely right. be successful. Because we're trying stuff, and it matters, and we have permission from the Lord to do that. The, the interesting thing to me about uh, creating a permission-given culture that is uh, paradoxical is... Um, um, the, uh, the regulatory culture gives us confidence um, even while it's busy squelching anything uh, that's new or that may matter more. Uh, so um, uh, the only way to create a regu- a, a, um, a permission giving culture paradoxically is to have confidence that the leaders of the church, the, the pastor, the staff, uh, the key staff and the session will hold people accountable, and will say no to bad ideas. The problem, the problem with the, with that we worry about in a, in a permission-giving culture is that, well, people will go off and do any old thing, or uh, people will do stuff, but we'll never know if it worked. We'll never. Nobody will be accountable for doing stupid stuff. So, and, and what happens when there's a lack of trust, and if you want to, and look at the PCUSA, you know, we've, we've collapsed in a way about, um, about trust, and it's partly because there's no accountability. Uh, uh, and um, so you've got to have accountability if you're going to have a permission-giving culture. We decided in Pittsburgh, we swel- swept away a three-layer, you know, 20-page book culture of, of, of management, and replaced it with a flat series of 43 mission teams whose only rules were go do something that matters for Christ. You can't spend more money than we gave you, and don't embarrass us. And by the way, we reserve the right to tell you don't ever do that again.
0: That's right. That's and, so good. You know, I love so we, it.
1: So we cut them free. Yeah. To go back to the thing I forgot about um, about some churches that you asked. You know, some churches you work and work and work, you can't get them to move. Sometimes it's a spiritual problem. Um, uh, in fact, usually it is. Uh, if people, if, if people are close enough to Jesus, they will long for the lost, okay. and 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 if they're close enough to Jesus Christ, uh, they will be willing to put up with some stuff so that others will reach be reached. My director of music eventually got close enough to Christ that he was willing to disappoint his wife of all people, <laughs> um, um, and. Um, When I was at Sherman Oaks, the second church I served, I was, I think, 31 when I went there, Uh, I I, I followed a wonderful guy who was a conservative kind of evangelical uh, guy. I was that way. Uh, John and Pam Powell followed me, and they were at least as capable as I was and and did a super job and a bunch of brave things. Not one of us, over a period of 20 years, moved that church a bit. And I, I, I said to John, he was a friend, because, and he and I both worked at the same church, I said, John, what was it there? And he said, you know, Jim, I think, I just think there there was no spiritual foundation there. They were basically a, a country club with a choir and the Lord's Supper. And um, it, what mattered to them was their fellowship and how fabulous the choir was, and when I asked them about the good old days, all of the good old days were secular stuff, every bit of it. Sure. Yeah. And so what, so I would say if you're stuck in a church like that, I would I would I would ask the Lord um, uh, whether or not I ought to give them uh, uh, two years to give the church two years uh, for sort of a spiritual awakening. The, and you can preach and you can lead, and, uh, and you can be with people in a, a, a pastoral way that witnesses and all of that. But it's the Holy Spirit that convicts. It's the Holy Spirit that renews and that, and that gives the, the, the birth from above. And um, and people are successful at resisting uh, not only me, but the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I would say yeah. if you can't move a church after a while, then, you know, uh, Jesus said uh, when he sent out the seventy, shake the dust off, off your feet. And, and move on, go find some, some place, yeah. some vineyard that will bear fruit. Yeah. The unwritten, unspoken mission statement in thousands of churches is, this church is here to help me be good, to love each other, and help me get to heaven when I die. And that is yeah. not the mission of the church. No. The mission no. of the church is to help me be a, a, a faithful follower of Jesus uh, so that other people will get to heaven when they die. If you're going to try to do spiritual renewal and going to try to get a church moving, invest yourself spiritually in the session. So inaugurate a, by golly, Bible study in the session and teach your session to pray out loud with each other. I once asked a a really nice woman who had been in the church 10,000 years, you know, if she would be the chair of of the, the worship commission. And she said, oh, I couldn't do that. I'd have to open the meetings in prayer and I've never prayed out loud. And I thought... I think that's my fault. And um, so, uh, you know, y- you can teach people to pray out loud if you just think about it and, and give them the work. Don't teach prayer. Have them pray. N- no lessons about that's it. Great. Have them pray. That's you know, uh, I want you to turn to one other person on the session and uh, think of something to be thankful for. All right. Close your eyes. And instead of telling your buddy, tell the Lord, Lord, I'm thankful for. For puppy dogs, you know, or for the gospel, if you want, you know, (laughs) and then one concern on your heart. If you get them to share, instead of sharing prayer requests, get the prayer request in your mind exactly as you would say it to your neighbor. But now instead of saying it to your neighbor, say it to God while your neighbor listens in. And you can teach people to pray out loud in 15 minutes that way, 20 minutes at the most. So teach them to pray, and then start making session meetings about spiritual stuff. We're going to grapple with um, Ephesians 4 or whatever passage, you know, and um, you know John 15, bear fruit or else, Jesus says, uh, or else get lopped off. Uh, and, and we're going to pray. And when we make decisions about uh, things that we're worried about in the church... Uh, before, we're going to discuss like good old church members, and, but we're going to pray. And, um, and uh, we're going to break up into groups of three and pray. And then when we're done, we're going to say, did you hear anything or do anything that, that matters? So part of it is investing, you know, the church set a governing body and the church staff ought to be able to pray together and, and in, including the, the secretary and, you know, maybe the custodian. And, and give them something to grapple with, yeah. you know, grapple with a tough peri- uh, passage of scripture, you know, John 15, bear fruit, my father lops off every branch of me that doesn't bear fruit and abide in me or you can't bear fruit. How are we doing? You know, break up into twos, talk about what's working and what isn't working about that. And by the way, how are you doing? And when, when you're done, we're going to face the middle and pe- we're going to talk about what what's working and not. Have them grapple with with the stuff that matters. Why are we not reaching people for Jesus? You tell me. You know, um, give them a, 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 a section of the, the, the Jesse does this, the, uh, the best thing you've recently read that unsettled you, and and have them grapple with it. And don't let them off the hook with superficial, you know, blah, blah, blah uh, answers. And I love what Jesse said, and, and I've asked a bunch of churches to do this. Stop making reports. Uh, to the session. You know, I, I I was in a bunch of churches in Pittsburgh whose minutes were perfect. Every, you know, the motion was made by Elder Jones. It was seconded by <laughs> Elder Cynthia. It was the move seconded and tarried after discussion. And what was decided was nothing. And, um, but, you know, but every committee of the session minutes were absolutely flawless and gorgeous. that so You could teach from them. And all of that, but nothing happened that
2: mattered. So we, we have a check-in time in our leadership meetings when we say, is there anything any ministry team or area needs to check in out, just talking points that you want to let us know so that we're all on the same page? I think you could do those sorts of reporting or checking in just just out of courtesy to each other. And But in that permission-giving environment, there's a really good decision-making model I think it's in good to great. Jason, uh, help me out if I'm wrong about this, but it's the tree decision making model where you you empower decision making at the lowest levels with mm-hmm. the, the you know, and it's a, a management by exception like you talk about all the time, Jim, uh, where you know leaf level decisions, branch level decisions, trunk and root, and give permission to every person in the congregation to make a leaf level decision. I don't decaf, regular coffee, green paper, blue paper. You decide, go for it. If it's wrong, we'll tell you to stop, you know, picking the wrong thing or whatever. Help you. And branch level stuff is kind of the staff or ministry area level. Our teams, you know, pick the right curriculum for our Sunday school. You know, uh, with our children, we then matters a ton. But we don't need to know about that. We are entrusted you with that decision. If you break the branch, we'll come find you and tell you to stop breaking branches, and we'll help you find, you know, a better a better curriculum or something. But we really want to empower that decision making. And I thought I think the tree model is a good one. So if, and if make sure
1: down, that everybody on the session can uh, do a respectable version of the tree model. That's right. And everybody on the leadership staff can too. Yeah. And
2: exactly.
1: then Jesse's talked about it in the pulpit. One of the, That's another thing. Missing in, in leading change, uh, I've heard a, a, at least dozens, maybe scores of sermons, because I was a Presbyterian exec and visited around, you know. And, and even in uh, bigger churches with dynamic p- preachers, I almost never heard sermons whose goal was to develop the body of Christ to bear fruit in Christ's mission. You know, when that talked about how are we doing, you know, this is what we're after. Here's where we're going. You know, this is why uh, the band uh, is doing this now. And here's how come we used to have, you know, everybody in the band who just wanted to be. But, but lately we've had to kind of have, you know, um, tryouts or whatever, you know, uh, 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 because we we've decided we've got to up the quality, you know when in the old days it was just all of us, and we looked up, and there were Susie and Fred and billy and 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 Mark and debbie's son, but now a lot, a lot of people are coming who don't know those people, and they don't look up there and know that all they know is they look up and it's it's uh it's not very good, and so they don't make excuses so now we're we're doing something you have to talk stuff out with the congregation, it respects them yeah. if people share the journey. They tend to arrive at the journey's end with you. If they don't, you better uh, cover yeah. your head or something.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, this is it's really good. One of the things that Jim taught me when he was here, you know, uh, he always called me his boss, but it, I don't know why. <laughs> but, but, but you he, were. <laughs> he was my partner in crime and it really helpful. But one of the things he taught as a preacher to get things up and out is the phrase that he yeah. said just to name things that are already circulating in the congregation or maybe out there or controversy that's going on, but just to, to name it and to dispel it and kind of take the power away from it, if you will. And, uh, you know, Jason, you and I use a similar preaching model that we borrowed from Andy Stanley, the I, you, God, we inspire model. And it's that we section that I've really used to name some of the things going on in the life of the church. That's nice. So, you know, it says yeah. in our life together at Marine View. Mm. X, Y, Z, you know, here's, here's some things that are going on that relate to what we've just talked about from the Bible. So there's ways to do it that are not, um, you don't even have to do it in a weird, awkward way. Let stuff emerge for the people,
1: help them to grapple. Grapple is a great word. Give them the work to grapple with and, and, and don't answer the question. If you're going to answer it in that sermon, don't answer it right away. Let it, let it get in their gut a little bit. They have a right to share the
2: emotional journey. I don't know. We're all over the place, but it's really good stuff.
0: (laughs) It's good though. It's good. Well, Jim, Jim, this has been awesome talking with you. And you know, I, I really think for a lot of leaders out there, I don't know, it's been encouraging to me that it's, it's reinforcing what it is that I'm seeing on the ground. And it's well, like you were just saying, it's naming it. I think part of it is so many pastors. And we talked about this in the last episode is so many pastors simply don't want to name it because that means that they have to go through the difficult work of change and, or, or it could be a blow to their own, um, ego. And, you know, when we had a church consultant here and, you know, I'm, I'm great until he starts, you know, critiquing the sermon and then, and then like, you know what? No, no, no I'm good. Okay. You stop. You can stop talking. Stop talking. I want to hear about everybody else's, uh, issues, but it gets, it gets to be a sensitive thing. And, especially in areas where you think you excel. It's one thing to be like, help me out. I don't know what I'm doing here. But another thing, oh, no, no, I got that. And then for someone to tell you, no, you don't got that. Um, So
1: on the line for our sermons. I mean, you're just laying it out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing. Don't preach sermons that can be pronounced good. Preach sermons that
0: bear fruit for Jesus, you know. Yeah. Yeah well thank you thanks for being with us oh's it, been a awesome. privilege thank you yeah so blessing to both and, of you well, and to whoever listens
2: next time every time jim pops in for lunch we'll just say, we'll have him on and we'll we'll just hit, just hit record. record yeah we'll just hit record and see where we end up <laughs> uh, tons of fun Jim's a good friend of mine and a really encouraging guy and so uh there's some resources we kind of loosely mentioned in name so we'll track down some of those books even from the 80s there might be something good from back in those days that was <laughs> so like 100 years ago or whatever yeah, we have to good to in the 80s in a- so so yeah, that's right. So you got to brush up on your your Latin and your your German or something. But, uh, but we'll uh, we'll try and track those down. We'll get those on the show notes, Jason, and uh, yep. uh, point people to our website, reclaimleader.com. and com. Um, and uh, we're glad glad to have you, Jim. Glad to talk with you, Jason. And uh, we'll uh, we'll keep we'll get another one here going pretty soon. Well, Jason, uh, great to have. Uh, Jim on with us today. And uh, like we talked about in the introduction, just a lot of great insight through his experience of uh, living and working in ministry and working alongside pastors and churches over the years. And so uh, hopefully that was helpful to you all listening in. Um, It's always encouraging and challenging uh, when I'm with Jim. And, uh, I know, Jason, I think you feel the same way that we kind of were reflecting. We said, uh, Jim seems like us a generation ago, and he's yeah. lived the journey and kind of been through all of it and can look back and speak, uh, you know, some words of wisdom to us as we navigate a different time and a different challenge uh, in the life of the church. So uh, glad to have him. I really resonate there, you know, as he, I think, is encouraging you and I as leaders and as pastors to to risk suffering, to name reality in our churches, to get up front as the lead communicator and, and just... Be honest, be clear, be direct with what we uh, as as the leadership of the church or just as pastors believe to be true about what God is calling us to do and be in our world. First of all, to name it. There's so much power
0: in just naming what it is and not dancing around it forever. And then, you know, delivering a, an application toward that that end. I think that was really helpful for me to hear because when I reflect now, I think some of the best the best kind of most effective sermons that i've given have tended in that direction where the application is really like what does it say about our life together specifically not in high level stuff but like in a real granular way how does this apply to how we're living out our witness as christians um in this church in this time
2: yeah, I, I I resonate with that. I think a lot of times we go to the what's your personal next step in your growing faith. Yeah. You know, we use that language. I know you guys do. You know, trying to make it really practical. Here, you know, so next week, you know, join a group. Uh, next week, read your Bible every day or whatever. And those are great great application points. But if we never n- kind of bring those things out into the open, that maybe are kind of low grade fever kinds of things in the church, or um, if we don't have the courage to do that, you know, I think. The best leaders in our midst, uh, the kinds of people we want to be on board with our direction, they're going to appreciate and resonate with that and be glad that they have leaders that are willing and have the courage to get there and do that. Um, and Because sometimes that passive, uh, just not dealing with it, can be perceived as acceptance of it or uh, we're okay with a version of church where gossip happens or where people are griping and complaining about the style of worship or the songs that we sang or, you know, why our pastor doesn't wear robes anymore, or whatever. Uh, and, yeah. um, you know, I think there's a fine line. Jim and I did talk also about, not not in this episode, but about um, being careful what you choose to bring out into the open because sometimes if it's a small thing off to the side, you can actually give more life and energy to it by, by bringing it in front of the congregation. If it's just a couple of folks that are griping over there, you know, Uh, just leave it alone. They don't have any power over there anyway. So um, you got to be wise about it, but I I did appreciate uh, his bringing that back. And what do you think about all this suffering stuff, Jason? Uh, You know, (laughs) here it is. You know, are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to suffer for the sake of the kingdom? I think that's Jim's point. And then as a pastor, you, you and I, and and you guys listening in, we are in a particular position where If we do our jobs right, I think Jim is saying, suffering comes with the territory and should maybe we're surprised by it, but maybe we shouldn't be. Maybe we should prepare emotionally, spiritually, maybe even physically for the suffering that comes uh, with leading change. But what do you you think about all that suffering stuff?
0: Yeah, I mean, well, it was a good reminder. It was a good reminder that that's just what happens. Because I think when when I'm kind of in the weeds with leading change, no matter what the change is... I feel like um, I've done, in my head, I feel like, okay, I've done a good job of bringing people on board and explaining why we're doing it. And of course, any reasonable human being would agree with me completely and has no problems with the direction we're going because I have laid such an incredible airtight argument for, sure. for why and, we should and do and it.
2: definitely anybody who really loves Jesus will agree with you every time, right. Because <laughs> right. if they that's don't, right. they probably don't. So that's,
0: yeah. That's right. And then they don't. For one reason or another, because they're not saved. And um, no, but but they they won't agree. And suffering comes from the tension kind of lived after that. And I start... I forget that that's that's part of it. That's part of leadership. And maybe it's because I I wasn't weathered in some kind of business environment. or, Or had to sort of take on a company and lead change. I know that a lot of leaders... This is old hat to them. They kind of know this is what it's all about, and they they just take it as a given. You're going to suffer. You're leading change. But maybe I'm just more fragile than I'd like to admit. But it it really, I'll just say Jim's reminder was a really good one for me to hear about. You're going to suffer. And, of course, I preach about that all the time. I talk about it all the time, but it's different when it's happening to me. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's it's one of those unspoken kind of – it's easy to say it, harder to do it, harder to live through it. And uh, I think, you know, uh, we've talked a little bit about this, Jason, and in, in just in our conversations just between you and I, but how making a hard decision – and paying the price for it, even if it's the right decision, people yeah. saying things about you, or or uh, you know, especially when it comes to staff. We had a situation here where we had made a hard staff decision, and it was the right one. I I, I believe deeply that it was what what we needed to do, but it was it came at a cost. And it, it, truthfully, um, in the midst of that suffering, it, it made me a little gun shy for a little while to really yeah. lead change effectively. Because man, that hurt, and it took time to kind of weather through it and I'm um, still dealing with some of the scars and the fallout of that or even a couple years later relationally with some folks and uh, so it can kind of if you suffer <laughs> sometimes it makes you go I'm not sure I want to do that again that that didn't yeah. that didn't feel good at least that's for me and so I don't know I you know I think one of the things I need to work on is how what can I do to, to build in some resiliency or, uh, to think about a recovery process or the pace of those big decisions where, where you will pay the price so that, um, though you're going to suffer consistently that you can, can make your way through it without being just swamped under. I I don't know if that makes sense to you, Jason, but. Oh no, totally.
0: No, it it totally does. And, and also like, am I not that am I like thick skinned enough, but. Am I willing to do that um, more than I'm willing to just let it ride, just let it sit, let whatever the issue is, not change. Because what I've discovered, at least so far, in my I would consider a short time as a full time pastor, especially because of a guy like Jim, who's been doing it, you know, his whole adult life. But you know, when I start thinking about that, I think there have been so many times already where I've let something go that I did not address the way that I thought it was supposed to be addressed where I was gun shy and I didn't do anything and the pain and suffering of that was always worse every time. Yeah. Every single time. And it's a hundred percent worse. Even Beyond
2: (laughs) that, uh, just, you know, not dealing with it right up front and, and, and getting in front of it and, and not letting it make, get worse or fester or whatever. Uh, I think. The key leaders and the people that you want to have buy-in from and respect from and and as teammates and partners in ministry, they're the ones that are looking and going: Is he going to lead? Is he going to do what a great leader does and step yeah. in and deal with this? The right kinds of people, the, the folks that are on board, they're going to they're looking at that decision and they're going: Come on, let's go! Um, uh, what's what's taking you so long to do do what we know is right? So uh, sometimes there's more at stake. Uh, there too than just our own feelings or, you know, some of the uh, the people we don't buy in from are, are waiting for us to act too. So stuff, yeah. tough stuff. Well, thank you, Jesse.
0: Thanks for bringing Jim to us. I think uh, it was so great. So great to talk to him. I love to talk to him again. You know, I could see why you've you had such an amazing experience with him kind of at your side. It's like you know, having a built in consultant guru slash encourager, convictor. That's right. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, you know, uh, an incredible it's gift. It's really yeah. cool. Incredible yeah. gift to me personally,
2: yeah. and I just feel like it was one of those God things where He's like, okay, this this guy, he's got some of the right kinds of thinking, and some of the, but man, he needs somebody to help shape that. Otherwise, <laughs> the church is in big trouble. <laughs> so I do know uh, Jim. I spoke with him a little bit after we talked, and and he's always available. He's not doing a ton now. He, he's kind of officially retired, but he's always up for a conversation. If you you know, if you wanted to uh, send him an email and and pick up the phone and just have a conversation with him about what's going on in your church or your leadership uh, he is has, just has a way of understanding the hearts of pastors and what we face and go through so um, we'll go ahead and put uh, his email address there in the show notes Jason if that's okay and, and um, he he let us know that he'd be open to at least having conversations kind of here and there nothing super formal but just as a way of encouraging pastors and leaders so uh, really yeah. really enjoyed having Jim and maybe we'll have him back again uh, one of these days and uh, we'll we'll circle back to some of this because this is something we'll be dealing with uh, throughout our our time as we lead and serve in the context of the church. So,
0: yeah, so if you're out there listening, uh, again, you can go to reclaimleader.com and if you go, click on the podcast link. Uh, you can you can see if you scroll down, you'll see where it says um, uh, episodes and show notes. You go down there to episode 2 and you'll see all the show notes from this episode. And and we want to encourage you if you're finding this helpful in your life and ministry, if you would Give us a like on iTunes. It helps bring our rank up so other people can hear it. And also, please share it with other leaders that you know, because we really do want this to help people. And so uh, thanks for listening. We do hope that it has helped you and will help you to lead change without losing your roots. Thank you for listening to Reclaimed Leader. Join us next time for more insights, interviews, and resources to help you in your leadership journey.